0: Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. For information on any of the services we talk about on the show, go to sands-trustee.com or call 1-800-661-3030 for a free consultation and to find an office near you. Now we know that lots of people find it very difficult to pay off debt when they're juggling multiple creditors, debt payments on a monthly basis, each have their own set of fees and interest charges. So the idea of debt consolidation is one that we hear about all the time and certainly see on the television and hear on the radio when we see the ads. Debt consolidation is a debt management tool that you can consider but you might be surprised to hear that there's more than one way to consolidate that consumer debt. And this is a good segment because we take one specific amount of money and we look at it from all the different mm-hmm. vantage points. So it gives you some really good concrete uh, information and a, and a way to look at it that we don't always do on, on in our segments, which I mm-hmm. think is kind of great, Blair.
1: Yeah. no, Thrilled about this one because debt consolidation is really such a popular term, you know, just about anybody who's in debt, the first thing they start to look at it, the first thing everybody tells them to do is hey you just got to consolidate consolidate the debt but what does that really mean right and we
0: hear it yeah. right I can't I can't say how many times I hear that on the radio and see it yeah. on television when you're watching local television or television stations from the states as well it's all about yeah. that and and that's why it's such an important thing to look at because it's it's not as easy as it sounds and it's pretty complicated and it can be a lot of things that you sort of don't think it is
1: yeah and so let's start at the basics you know what do we really mean by debt consolidation And, you know, the basic word consolidation just means to put everything together. So the idea of a debt consolidation is that you're going to have one loan with typically a different bank, but it could be the same bank that you already owe money to. But instead of owing five different banks or 10 different banks, you're just going to have one. So essentially one bank is going to step up, they're going to pay off all of your other debt, and they're going to give you a monthly payment amount that typically the benefit here is twofold. You know, one is it's way more simple, you're dealing with one bank, one set of terms, one set of requirements. But also it should be cheaper. Because if you're dealing with consumer debt, for the most part, people are paying, you know, 19 to 29% on interest rates on credit cards, store credit cards or bank issued. Um, So if you're doing a consolidation loan, typically your interest rate is going to be a lot lower, you know, maybe more in the range of about 12% um, on your money. So the idea is you're going to save a little bit of money, you're going to have a more simple financial life. So it sounds great, right?
0: It does. It sounds very great, especially when you go from 19% credit card interest rate to 12%. Mm -hmm. But hang on, 12% is still a heck of a lot of money.
1: Yeah, at the end of the day, you've still got, you know, whatever this amount of debt is. And again, for the purposes of an example, let's pick a reasonable amount of debt. And this is actually lower than the average Canadian, which is amazing. But um, it's basically $20,000. If you had $20,000 of consumer debt and you decided to do a consolidation loan, uh, we've made an assumption that you'd want to pay off the consolidation loan in around three years. And we've also assumed that the interest rate is going to be about 12% on that money. Um, If that's the case, your monthly payment is going to be approximately $665 a month over three years.
0: Okay. So that sounds pretty attractive to me, but Especially if I'm stressed about owing $20,000 and now I've got mm-hmm. one payment to make a month yep. and it's six sixty,
1: And it's probably less than your minimum payments and it's probably you know going to get you out of debt sooner because it's over a three-year period. So it sounds good, right? Sounds
0: good. Yep. So why isn't it the best well, option? Well, the
1: biggest catch is that just about anybody who needs a consolidation loan is also the person that's going to find it most difficult to qualify for a consolidation loan. Because if you think about the bank is stepping up and they're paying off everybody else's debt, they're paying their own money out to basically take on your debt. Right. They need some guarantee they're going to get paid. And typically, unless you've got some equity in real estate or you've got an investment you're going to give the bank some security over, unless you have an asset that you're able to pledge to the bank to say, if I don't pay off this consolidation loan, you guys can are, are going to get your money one way or the other. You're either going to seize my house or seize another asset. Unless you're able to do that, Almost nobody can qualify for a consolidation loan at a reasonable rate.
0: Now, there is a percentage of people who are listening to this show who they would fit into that category. They've mm-hmm. got a house, they've yep. got a whatever whatever the uh, whatever the the uh, security is. Yep. but there's a huge chunk of folks. Who don't have that.
1: That's right. So they got no free and clear assets or yeah. they don't have a solid credit rating or the income isn't enough for them to a- afford those payments. That's where a bank consolidation loan just isn't going to work. If, you know, even getting the payments down to six sixty-five, if you can, if you could get that, if that's not going to fit in your budget, well, then you haven't solved any problems.
0: And that's on top of living every day or every month, uh, you know, those costs, right? Exactly. All right. So second option is Credit counseling consolidation.
1: Yeah. So so this now you'll see a bunch of advertising all the time for various credit counselors and not for profit credit counselors. And one thing that we've touched on a number of times, Elaine, but it bears repeating, is you really need to consider that when you see credit counselor, even not for profit credit counselor, those words mean collection agent.
0: Yes. Okay.
1: Because a credit counselor, their function is to get a hundred percent of the money that you owe paid back to the creditor. Okay. That's a collection agent function. They're paid by the creditor. So the biggest not-for-profit credit counseling agencies are all funded by the banks. So I'm just saying this so people are aware, but the option that they can offer, it bears examining because the big difference with a credit counseling consolidation plan is you put all the debts together, you get a single payment, but for most debts, they're able to negotiate zero interest. Okay. So that's much better than 29, much better than 19, better than 12, right? Yes,
0: very. Yeah, Mm -hmm. a lot better than 12.
1: Yeah. Now, you can still run into a few challenges there, though, um, because first off, credit counseling is only going to work if you're dealing with those debts that are essentially being covered by those banks. So you're dealing with a collection agent for the bank. If you try to get them to help you with a student loan or an income tax debt or something like that, they can't do anything for you.
0: So the government stuff does not get covered Mm -hmm. under credit counseling. That's and that's really important because right. student debt for sure, yep. that's we know so many people that they fall into that. Mm-hmm. And and it's a good option at the time, right? Yep. E- education's a good thing. And that's what you need to do in order to get it. Uh, and uh, income tax, uh and it could be personal, it could be business, yeah, it, it could, could be, be
1: GST, it could be a number of things. Yeah. And now it's also the case it might not even be government debt, but it might be you know another creditor, another bank or credit mm-hmm. card company, even a personal creditor that doesn't want to deal with the credit counselor, right? Right? Because they've got no legal authority. They are a collection agent being funded by the bank. So if you're dealing with the bank's debts, they're very happy to work with you. But if that's not your whole situation, it might not be enough of a solution that you're looking for. And again, let's come back to some numbers here. Yeah. So we talked about if you're going to consult the debts. You're looking at about six hundred and sixty-five dollars a month over three years to pay it off with Based interest. On
0: twenty thousand dollar consumer yep. debt. That's what my debt is going into this.
1: Right. So if you were to do a credit counseling plan, your payments are going to be lower. On twenty thousand dollars of consumer debt paid off over three years, you'd be looking at about five hundred and fifty dollars per month.
0: Okay, so a, a, a lot better, mm-hmm. or a little bit better, certainly than yeah. six sixty. Oh
1: yeah, it's a hundred and ten dollar difference there. So you know that that's real money on a monthly basis. Um, But unfortunately that still might not be enough of a reduction for someone to really handle a situation here. So there's another option of debt consolidation that almost nobody thinks about when they start to think about how do I consolidate my debts. We all think about going to the bank. Some of us think about going to a credit counselor, but very few people actually consider approaching a licensed insolvency trustee to consolidate debts through a consumer proposal.
0: And because it's sort of a a brand new thing for people, they don't actually, they haven't heard of this before, Mm -hmm. and it is kind of new. It's Certainly new being called uh, a consumer proposal. Yeah. So that's the new part of it. It's been being done for quite a while, mm-hmm. but it's not been called that before, right? Right,
1: exactly. So, you know, when I sit down with people and I explain that a consumer proposal is essentially a consolidation, but with a couple of really big differences, and they're very positive differences, you know. So first off, no interest. So it's not 29, 19, or 12, or whatever. It's by law, zero interest from the day you file your consumer proposal can be charged on any of your debts, and it includes government debts,
0: and that's the difference.
1: Exactly. So, so student
0: loans, uh, CRA, GST, yeah, GST, whatever,
1: MSP. Pick any acronym from the government. We can be, <laughs> we can deal right. with them um, because when we when we're doing a consumer proposal, we're backed by federal legislation that says here's the rules of the game, and I don't care if it's a bank or the government. Everyone's subject to those rules of the game. So when you do a consumer proposal, first big difference, no interest. But the second is just massive, and this is this is what really changes people's lives. Is we've got to figure out. If you're coming to see me at Sands & Associates, it's because you can't afford to pay off the consolidation loan. You can't afford to pay off the full $20,000 and nobody wants you in debt for the rest of your life. So in a consumer proposal, we offer to pay back what you can afford. To pay back, we reduce the debt usually down to about a third of the total amount, and you make payments on that reduced amount, which gets you out of debt much more quickly and inexpensively than just about any other way.
0: And it's done over the same period of time, right? Yeah.
1: Let's come back to our great example, right? So we talked about six hundred and sixty dollars to consolidation loan, five fifty in credit counseling, Elaine, one hundred and sixty six dollars per month is what it would cost to clear twenty thousand dollars in a consumer proposal over three years. One hundred and sixty six dollars.
0: So. I mean, just think about that for a second. That's an incredible savings Mm -hmm. uh, and a really small, it's nothing to be laughed at, Mm -hmm. but it's so much smaller than the other two figures that we were talking about. And it just would feel so much more manageable for folks.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I sit down with folks all the time when we look at, and I say, you know, this is your probable proposal payment, they say, well, that's less than the interest charges on one of my single debts. And I was paying that every month and not getting anywhere. I can make that payment. I can have a balanced budget. I can provide for my family and no one can sue me, harass me, take me to court, do anything. You know, people just think this is the best thing since sliced bread.
0: And I'm clear in three years yep. paying that. Yeah. The other piece. You can even
1: be clear sooner if you can pay it off sooner. If you know you can pay more than 166, double up, and you'll be done in 18 months.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Very good point. And the other piece of it is, so what's it in? What? Uh, what's the benefit? Or, or that's not the right way to say it. What's? It, I can't think of this
1: silly. Phrase. <laughs> how do I get paid? Is that yeah. It? How yeah. do you get paid? Isn't that funny? Yeah. I no, all, Wrap my head around all that good phrase. questions. And you know, one thing I love about being a trustee. <laughs> (laughs) is transparency is built into everything that we do. So the government sets out legislation for a proposal. They also set out how a trustee will get paid. And for us to do a consumer proposal, you pay nothing beyond what the reduced debt amount is. So if we said that this proposal is going to be $166 per month, we sit down, we meet with you a number of times to file the proposal. The day we start the proposal, you make the first $166 payment, and then you just keep paying that over a three-year period. What you pay into trust in the proposal, the trustee gets a portion of that for fees, the vast majority of it is payable out to your creditors. So one way to think about it is essentially your creditors are paying the cost of the trustee. You're paying what you can afford and that money gets split between debt repayment and the cost of the process, but there's no bill I ever give to anybody. It's, I'll meet with you for free, it's when we start the proposal, you make a first payment.
0: The other other key thing that I think bears being repeated is that you guys are federally regulated. You're not some fly-by-night operation that you've just, this this is how you're going to make some money. You've set it Mm -hmm. up this way. I mean, the amount of education and training that you yourself had to go through in order to do this, as well as all the people. And it's just not this work, the other thing that Sands and Associates, and just touch on it, Blair, Mm -hmm. the other services that you guys offer somebody coming in the door.
1: Yeah, so for every client, you know, we sit down, we do financial counseling, we review their budgets. If it's a case that a proposal is not possible, we're qualified to help with the bankruptcy as well, to help you get back to zero. We're the most qualified folks you could sit down to meet. We don't judge anybody and it's free to come and sit sit and sit with us
0: the number it's easy 1-800-661-3030 to book that free consultation and start living a debt-free life we'll be back with more right after this Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. Ian Speckman's on the line with us from Maple Ridge Chrysler. Ian's a dealer principal at Maple Ridge Chrysler. And uh, he uh, and Maple Ridge Chrysler, part of one of Canada's largest auto groups, Auto Canada, 57 dealerships across the country. It's interesting. Ian's got a cool history. He's been in the business for about 32 years, started out as the guy lot jockey when he was 18 and uh, worked his way up from there to sales associate, general man- sales manager, general sales manager, and now the dealer principal. Ian, thanks so much for joining us.
2: Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me
0: on. So we're talking about the the, uh, gist of this segment is called Getting More Miles for Your Money and how folks can think about a car purchase before they take that first step. Do you want to talk about your experience in dealing with folks who are considering a car purchase? What are the things that they should be thinking about the most before they walk in your door?
2: Well, you know, preparation is uh, the most important thing. You know, prepare, figure out what your needs actually are. What is it going to be a family vehicle? Is it long-term ownership? Is it short-term? Are you going to be uh, changing vehicles soon? So really, you know, sit down with your family and figure out what it's going to be you're going to need so that we can better help you put together a package that will work for you.
0: Now, there's a lot of costs in getting a car, uh, one of which, and probably one of the most important ones, is that maintenance issue. Uh and what kind of, what kind of percentage do we, should I be thinking about before I come in the door and what I'm going to spend for maintaining the vehicle?
2: Well, we figure that uh, an average ownership of a car over the next five years, you're going to be spending about $3,000. gonna be the average maintenance you're going to be spending on your vehicle to make sure it's running in the top order.
1: And that's in total, Ian, over the, over the five-year term?
2: Yeah, that's about, that's about what you're going to be looking at. Yeah, it does that be including your replacement of your, adding your winter tires and things like that?
1: Does that vary by you know, car type or brand? Are there certain you know, brands that are, are more economical than others?
2: Well, certainly, that. I'm, I'm looking more at the domestic side of the world. Mm-hmm. Once you start to get into the uh, imports, are slightly more, but you get into the luxury brands, the uh, Audis and the Mercedes, um, you can take that and then easily double it, if not triple it, but uh, you know, that's, that's the expense of having that nice luxury in your driveway.
0: What about some tips, Ian, for folks that are thinking about uh, getting a new vehicle, or is or is that the first thing they should think about? New vehicle versus a gently used vehicle.
2: Well, that uh, goes back down to the same thing we started at the very beginning: is like, what what are you going to be using it for? Is this, if it's a short term purchase where you're going to be having it two three years, definitely look at a uh, used vehicle. You know, something at like current model year, maybe two years old, but not much older than that. Something called warranty. Um, but if you're looking long-term, where you're going to keep that vehicle for the next seven to eight years, that the financing that the manufacturers now offer for those terms, obviously a new vehicle will give you better service because you'll have longer warranty. The vehicle will last you longer. You'll have the opportunity to actually make that car yourself as far as maintenance, looking after it, doing the things that you want to make it your own personal vehicle.
0: I have my dad's voice in the back of my head saying, you know, the moment you drive that car off the lot, you lose, you know, brand new car off the lot, you've got to think about that depreciation.
2: Your dad was so right. <laughs> we, we, we quite often uh, make reference to it. As you're trying to make the best bad decision you're going to. And buying and <laughs> a car really isn't a great idea. Maybe we should take the city bus, but it doesn't sit in your driveway. It's not there when you want it to. It doesn't uh, necessarily a piece of your family or represent who you are as far as style and class, but you know that's the price you pay, and you get the luxury and the enjoyment of it.
0: So what about buying a used vehicle? I know there's um, some things to really pay attention to before you purchase it. What are the kinds of questions that I should be asking you?
2: Well, you want to get the history of the vehicle. Where did it come from? Um, A lot of the newer used cars um, will be ex-rentals, and Quite frankly, Rex Rentals is probably a very good, safe place to buy a car. The cars are maintained. The manufacturers make sure the cars are maintained. The, the rental companies can't put cars out that aren't operating properly. Um, I would probably have a good look at um, any kind of accident history on it. Um, and that today, is, again, is not the same as it used to be because you can take a headlight out in a car and it can be a couple thousand dollars. So really get some good detail if there was any damage on there. If there was damage, you should be paying less for the car, um, only because you're going to get less than you go to trade it in. That's horseshoe, uh, but that's just the fact. Um, check Carfax, CarProof. Um, make sure that the dealer, uh, or even privately, uh, that you get the history search on it. And I would go with a Carfax. I'm sorry, my apologies. CarProof. Carfax doesn't give as much coverage as CarProof. Um, it's the best fifty-six dollars you can spend on. Uh, Getting history in a car, especially if you're buying privately, because you, once you buy privately, you yeah, have very little recourse if there is any issues. Where you buy with a dealer, um, we have represent-, represent representatives to actually look after that. Um, we stand behind it, and if there's a problem, we can always find you something different or give you back your money.
0: Yeah, it's a pretty efficient system. I've used that a couple of times when I've purchased vehicles, uh, of getting the history and it's pretty available for a dealership or a our salesperson before you before you purchase the car to find out the exact history.
2: Yeah, we most dealerships will run a car a car a car, a car proof on it. Um, when we buy them from auctions, they provide us that information. So it's it's pretty much the standard in the industry today. But what? again, if you're going private, that's where you have to be
0: cautious. Right, absolutely. And do I have it? Is there a, a private way of finding out the car history if I'm buying it privately uh, from my neighbor, let's say?
2: Just log in to car, uh, carproof.com uh, and okay. uh, pay your $56 and they'll spit it out for you.
0: Okay, perfect. Okay, I don't think that, I don't think that was around uh, in my last purchase. So that's interesting to know. What about out-of-province cars, Ian? Do I have to pay attention to that, where that vehicle's come from?
2: Yeah, certainly. You know, there's there's a lot of province cars. Um, you have to be uh, somewhat cautious. You know, Quebec region tends to be very harsh on cars. Ontario, somewhat. Yukon, um, things like that. But you can actually be in northern British Columbia and have as a harder time on the car as you're going to be in Calgary, or actually Calgary probably less problems. Um, some of the provinces don't use as much salt as uh, other areas do. So. You, you know, check your out-of-province, I'd avoid, like, the Quebec cars, um, the, the very far, far north cars. But, you know, get the cars inspected, uh, get a private inspection. Dealerships do have licensed mechanics that their licenses are there, not the dealerships. So they do a thorough inspection because it's their name they're putting on the line, not the dealerships. So they're very cautious on what, how they um, you know, inspect your vehicle to make sure they give you a proper and accurate uh, information. Make a, a good judgment call, but you can also use BCAA or any of the third parties, um, and have a good look at it, because, you know, again, it might cost you $50 to save you thousands down the road.
1: Now, that, that definitely makes a lot of sense. And, um, you know, the idea of, of our show is we want to be able to give people tips all the time, you know, to, to live a better financial life, more secure and, and cost savings. Now, this might be something that you think you're saving money when you're not, because I know sometimes people try to do their own car maintenance, but there can be some pitfalls to avoid. So I wonder if you can give us just a quick sense of, you know, what is something you could perhaps do yourself if you're a little mechanically inclined and other things you should absolutely not do because you might void a warranty and cost yourself a whole lot more money in the end.
2: Well, we we have underneath um, the Chrysler cars, we have these, these points are called yellow spots. And it's the dipstick, and the fuel filler, and the washer fluid. We say you're allowed to touch the yellow spots, for <laughs> a, a, a trained technician do. Um, the problem is, if you do it yourself, you're not going to know the little things that the techs are going to know when they're looking at your car. They miss the slightest little thing, or you miss the slightest little thing, you could cause big problems. But change your oil, that's going to be a pretty safe one. Um, Anything beyond that, I would really not do it. Um, you could rotate your tires, but quite frankly, make sure you have nitrogen in your tires and make sure you have you know, tire pressures maintained. That's really going to make your tires last the longest. Um, really, uh, go, you know, either a, go to a, a service center. Obviously, I prefer you come to a dealership because quite frankly, we have the trained technicians that can work on it faster and see problems and know how to head them off before they become major uh, issues. But, uh, don't try it yourself unless you are a mechanic. Um, you don't have the tools anymore. They're very, very specific. They, I have a bench full of specialty tools to take out this one little part. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that, uh, for every specific car. So, try to do it yourself. Not a really good idea. I don't think you'll have a good result.
0: That's great advice, Ian. Ian Speckman, that's who we've been talking to for Maple Ridge Chrysler, dealer principal of the operation. MapleRidgeChrysler.com is the website. You're listening to Elaine Scollin along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, and the show is called Dollars and Cents. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. With us right now is Shannon. Uh, She was uh, able to successfully achieve a financial fresh start uh, going through bankruptcy. Uh, Shannon, thanks so much for joining us.
1: So I wonder, just from a background point of view, can you tell us about the situation that led to you having to file a personal bankruptcy?
3: Sure. It was actually a specific um, series of events that led to to kind of a, a buildup of debt quickly in my life. Um, I, I, I was 27. I had, um, I had a divorce that started to kind of build up. Um, I kind of had to start from scratch, literally from scratch. So, you know, I had to head out on my own, buy everything that I needed. Um, it was followed about eight months later by a major health crisis. Mm. I had organ failure, needed to have a transplant wow. and, um, and I was also self-employed at the time. So <laughs> you don't think mm-hmm. at 27, it's going to happen to you. And that's a big thing. I was self-employed and I didn't have insurance. So right. I ended up being, um, going through a major health crisis, living on my credit line. I didn't want to reach out for help and I had a lot of people offer help, but instead I, I, I lived on a credit line for you know the pre-sickness and and then the the recovery so it was about about a year that i because i was self-employed didn't have health insurance i built debt debt built up for about you know a few months prior before my surgery and then afterwards i also you know didn't work for about almost a good year so that mm-hmm. was all on a credit line and, um, so, so
1: Shannon, you, you were obviously quite ill and, you know, medical care is one of the, the great parts of living in Canada, but it sounds like without, what, without this yeah. credit line, you would have had probably zero income coming in if you were self-employed without disability. Exactly,
3: mm-hmm. And that coupled with the divorce that happened just before where I had to literally start from, you know, buying forks, knives, bedding, I had to build everything, um, you know, build up furniture, furnishings. Um, I had to restart my life. So that and followed eight, seven months later by the the illness. Uh, it just, it was a very quick series of events that built debt up very quickly. Um, uh, so it was, it kind of all snowballed and I was doing well financially. So I'm like, no problem. It'll, it'll be very, It'll be building up quickly, but I, I got this. I can do this.
1: Like you just figure you'll get back to work. Well. You'll clear the debt eventually. Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah. I, I, I made good money, so I wasn't, I wasn't afraid. I was selling real estate at the time. I was not worried at all, and mm-hmm. I'd always done well for myself. I had perfect credit, R one credit. Um, I was making good money, and you know, I, I, I wasn't worried. I wasn't yeah. worried. But what happened is there was another hit that came, which was the, <laughs> the recession. So mm-hmm. real estate recession things kind of hit there as well. And nobody was buying houses. So this was a few years ago, but um, that was the final kick. And I, you know, I was, I got my life back. I got my health back, but I literally could not, my, my career was ending. Like there was, we, we, nobody was purchasing homes. We, there was nothing I could do. It was just the my career was ending um and i was in a uh, i wasn't living here i was living in a different town at the time and it was literally um my career was basically ending and there was not much i could do about it so i i tried for about 2 years to get out of that hole and i did ev- literally everything i could i was working i was delivering phone books i was doing little jobs on the side. I was doing absolutely everything I could think of to make my mortgage payments. I had real estate investments. I had two homes. I had um, payments. I was doing everything I could think of to get out of this hole. I was doing everything and it was starting to show up in my health. And this is where I really want to reach out to those people who are in that hole right now. I want you to listen to me. You know that that financial stress it affects your health. It was affecting my health to the point where it was showing up in my blood work. My, my, my health was starting to decline very rapidly. So it was affecting my health to, to the point where my doctors were getting concerned. And, and I, you know, I was literally not physically capable of working to the extent that I needed to, to pay my bills. Um, and I, I just was like, what do I do? I was I. I was losing sleep at night and I tried for two years to get out of that hole. Um, And then, and then Shannon, how long did it, what was
0: the period of time when you, when you realized that you weren't you, this was it, you were not going to be able to get yourself out of that. Two years. It was two two years,
3: years. two years from when it started snowballing. And I'm like, no, I got this. And I, you know, I was proactive from the start. I, I, I still had been, I was very proactive. I'd let the creditors know what was happening. I returned a lease voluntarily when I'm like, okay, i got to start unloading stuff. I've got to lower my debt load. And I um, I felt sick about the idea of bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. This is going to, you know, a lot of people are going to understand that, the quitting factor. But when it comes to that point where you your health, and for me, it was literally getting to the point where, you know, I've been given the gift of life. I did not want to put that at risk. That was, that was it. But, you know, when your life, when your health is at risk, you've really got to, you know, it comes down to your pride. A lot of people can relate to that. You don't want mm-hmm. to quit. You don't want to quit. You don't want to give up. You don't want to feel like that. It was, it's ego. It really comes down to, to that. But I finally went, I reached out and I met with somebody and, you know, you don't want to feel like a quitter, but. There are these these systems are are here for a reason, and I finally reached out. And when I finally did, I I understood that there's these systems are there for us for a reason. And when I finally reached out and met with a trustee, I just it all came off my shoulders. It was it was so easy, and I understood. I finally understood the process, and they literally. They took over and they did everything. And, you know, I was very proactive and I didn't have, you know, the creditors chasing me. I was very proactive, but I understand how hard it is to get to that point. But um, at this point, when once they did take over, I never had another. The, it all goes to them. Right. Nobody can legally call you after that. So that's what I really want people to understand is. It's done the second you reach out to somebody and you have a trustee, they legally cannot call you. People will yeah, not call you.
1: You're you're saying things so, so perfectly. Um, I just yeah, to, yeah just to put a, a fine this, point on it. And as as you mentioned, you know, this is the law, right? You know, that the government the government yes. created this law, and the actual wording for it is someone that's been honest but unfortunate. And the story that you you've recalled recounted to us here that that's you, right? You know, you yes. you were honest the whole time. You had a series of unfortunate events, and isn't it great that Parliament created this law to get us, you know, a fresh start to get you back on track?
3: It's a law. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. And, you know, what I've learned from this is that, I i mean, you do go through a process. You have to, you know, you got to do some, there is a process to it. Um, what I've learned from it, and I kind of did this anyways, but what I've learned is I've now, I, I have had a fresh start. Um, I've sold my, my homes. Everything was sold. Um, and there's a the whole process with that. I'm not going to get into it. But I now do everything, you know, I base everything on cash. That's my choice. However, I do want everybody to know that I'm two years post-bankruptcy. I own a home, I have a mortgage, I have a credit card. I am back to our one credit. I just did a a Equifax, I pulled my credit. I'm back in the 700s, so I have a credit card from a legit credit card, I have a mortgage. I am back up there, like there's things you can do to rebuild your credit very quickly. There's little tricks you can do. You just need to be educated, proactive. And you can get there. You just need to reach out and do that. Um, and, and Shannon, know- that, that's
1: just great insight because yes. to a person, everyone that comes in the door, they're so worried about their credit you're rating, scared. and I you know, it. off the top, they think bankruptcy takes seven years, which it doesn't. It, doesn't. it, it takes you know, know nine months or twenty-one months, and most people rebuild their credit two or three years after. So you're exactly proving um, you know the, the day-to-day reality, but most people have a conception that it's going to be so much worse and so much you know with a legacy yeah. of impact than is actually the case.
3: And this is why I want to be on the radio today and reach out to everybody out there whose spouses or whose friends. If you know somebody, just explain what you're hearing today. It's not like that anymore. There's things you can do. You just need to make the call, go have a meeting, learn about it, educate yourself. It's very different. You just need to just there's a couple of points I want to make. You're not being a quitter. There's 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 a reason they have this process. Things happen in life. And what I want to say, there's systems in place for a reason. We are human. We make mistakes. The thing is, just learn from it. Don't do this again. Things, ha- it, as long as you can learn through this process and don't repeat it, it's okay. You can make a mistake. We don't, all, because you've gone bankrupt, it does not mean that you're a huge spendaholic spender. Maybe you were. Maybe you went through a phase. It's still okay. You're, human we all make mistakes maybe you've had what happened to me and you just had a snowball of events it happens but there's this process called bankruptcy for a reason and you know credit cards they make a lot of interest they make a lot of money this that this is why we can afford to go through a process called bankruptcy this is why that system is in place the government's done it for a reason to help people get a fresh start and This is why I wanted to do this today is really to help explain my experience through it so people can understand how it truly works from my personal experience. I, two years out and I'm a fresh start and I'm back in the real estate. I got a home, got a credit card. I run a business. It's successful and I could get a loan if I wanted to, but I never know when my health is going to go sideways. So I've chosen to build it on cash. Mm -hmm. So I'm never in that situation again because that really sucked. But um, (laughs) I just, I really hope that somebody out there can hear this story today. That stress, I mean, I've gone through the dying process, and it was awful, but financial stress was actually worse than what I experienced by going through the dying process. Financial stress was worse.
0: Shannon, your story? horrendous. Shannon, your story is so great, and I know that it's resonating with folks that are listening. I hope so. Uh, I really
3: hope so. Yeah.
0: No, you've, a, you've done a great job. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. And uh, I just want to add, too, uh, if, if you're hearing Shannon's story, it's resonating with you, sands-trustee.com is the website to check out more, to book uh, yourself an appointment for a free consultation, or you can also call 1-800-661-3030. Confidential in-person consultations with Sands & Associates are always free. Simply call Sands & Associates at 1-800-661-3030 or visit the Sands & Associates website at sands-trustee.com to book your free consultation today. If you're not ready to meet in person or know someone who's resisting reaching out to a debt management professional like Sands & Associates, we still want to help.
1: Simply send us an email with the breakdown of your debts, any assets that you have, such as a vehicle, home, or RRSPs, a basic idea as to your household's income, expenses, and general budget, plus any relevant information about your circumstances and situation. We'll review your situation anonymously during a segment and talk about what sort of solutions could be used to get you to a debt-free future.
0: Send us the email at radio at sands-trustee.com. That's radio at sands-trustee.com today. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. Hey, listen, for information on any of the services that we talk about on the show, go to sands-trustee.com or call 1-800-661-3030 for a free consultation or to find an office near you. Now, we're talking about if you're in debt, and you've got a whole bunch of things. You're a busy person. You've got a whole bunch of areas that concern you on a regular basis. There are some what we're going to call sneaky credit killers mm-hmm. that is really important to pay attention to. So these are things that could impact or hurt your credit rating. So basic mistakes that folks make. And here's the key. They are basic. So mm-hmm. it's not like you're alone in thinking this. We've got a list together of the top five mistakes that can hurt your credit rating. and. Let's just start at the at the first one. Why mm. is leaving unpaid cell phone bills or paying your bill late on a regular basis top of the list Blair.
1: Yeah this one was so hard to believe for me and so surprising but it's actually the number one reason why when people go and seek a mortgage approval sometimes it comes back with hey your credit rating isn't good enough we're not going to improve approve you or we're going to give you a, you know a non-prime rate. Uh, the number one reason for that is unpaid cell phone bills. That's
0: crazy yeah. that that would impact a mortgage.
1: Yeah and it's often it's the smallest expense each month maybe it's less than a hundred dollars or somewhere in, in around there. Yeah. Um, but just by paying that late every month cell phone companies I don't know whether 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 it's a conscious decision or not, I feel like it is a conscious decision, (laughs) they are the quickest of any creditor you'll ever deal with to suddenly throw you into collections. Mm. And once you go into collections, you get the incessant phone calls, but even more than that, you get the negative ticks on your credit report. So every debt that you have is gonna say, do you pay it on time? Do you pay it late? Are you delinquent? So on and so forth. As soon as you've missed a couple payments on your cell phone bill, you can bet dollars to donuts they're going to be every month putting a tick on your credit report if that persists for months or a year or longer it can be a you know a negative history that's going to be a bit tough for you for you to outweigh with even the positive things that you're doing
0: and in this day and age one feels like you have to have a cell phone Mm -hmm. so once you've got those uh checks against you yeah it's tough, right? It's tough to come back from that, even to get onto another plan or mm. but mortgage, that's that's surprising me, right?
1: Yeah. So the big takeaway here is, you know, don't assume just because it's a small amount that it's suddenly inconsequential. It's absolutely not. And again, the the practice of the cell phone companies is they will hurt your credit quickly and against a collection tool. They they tell you this, we're gonna send you to collections, it's gonna have an impact on your credit, and right. they will follow through on that.
0: Okay. Too high a balance on my credit cards?
1: Yeah, so there's a metric that's uh, called credit utilization, and it's really simple. It says, you know, if you've got a $1,000 limit and your balance is consistently at $750, you're at 75% of utilization. So what is your balance and what percentage, you know, are are you using? And credit bureaus work a little bit differently in that sometimes they'll pull information in the middle of the month when the balance is high, or sometimes they'll pull it at the end of the month when you've just paid it off. So, you know, sometimes you might say, well, this is never a problem for me because I might balance might be high but i pay it off every single month right but if the credit bureau has pulled that information from the middle of the month when you were at you know 90 95% utilization that can be a negative thing um, the reason for that is creditors start to think well if you're bumping up against your limit consistently you know is this a risk factor that perhaps you're not managing things you know credit cards are not supposed to be you know permanent you're in debt you carry a balance all the time mm. so seeing that you're carrying a balance on one or multiple cards uh, that can be you know a high percentage of that limit that can be a risk factor for creditors and that can have a negative impact on your credit score and your rating
0: See, my brain tells me that the opposite would be true. It means, Mm -hmm. oh, you you maximize your credit, you pay it off each month, Mm -hmm. you're a good risk, right? That I can up your limit and you're going to pay me back every time.
1: Yeah, there is a magic number here. So they they, want to see activity, and we'll talk about that in a bit. You know, having a card that's dormant, it doesn't do anything for you, but the magic number is 50%. Okay. So, you know, if you know you're going to be charging $1,000 each month, you wouldn't want to have one card with a $1,000 limit, you'd want to have maybe two cards and you split that spending up so that you don't go past the 50% utilization.
0: Okay, so that's really the only thing that I can do to control it.
1: Yeah, it's it's just basically keeping your, your balances down as much as possible. And it's not a case you'll be, you know, perfect credit every second of your life. You know, things will go up and down. Right. But again, the, to the point of the whole segment, these are kind of the sneaky things that you might not think about. Think you know, about. you might not think because I'm paying it off every month, you think you're doing everything right. But if that balance goes very high during the month, you might be getting a negative tick on your report. Got it.
0: Uh, what about closing old accounts?
1: Yeah, this one, talk about counterintuitive, because many times when, you know, I have couples in my office and they say, you know what, we went to the mortgage broker and we wanted to clean up all our credit beforehand. And what we did is we looked at all of our accounts, there were a few of them that we weren't using too much anymore, and we closed those down. Yeah. And what they told me, I had this just last week, is the mortgage broker told them that was about the worst thing you could have done, because what happens is you lose all of the history for those accounts. So as oh. soon as you close them down, it's like they never existed.
0: So it's not about just paying them off mm-hmm. or paying them down. Yep. It's closing it. I yeah. no longer want this.
1: Right. So if okay. you're if you're concerned, you don't want to show that you got, you know, five credit cards out there with very high limits, even if there's nothing on there, well, then get them to lower the limits, get them to bring them, you know, down to a thousand dollars or something like that. But again, if you close the account, you might have paid that card religiously for years and years. You never went above the 50% utilization. It is the gold star on your credit rating you close the account you lose the history
0: that is and that is counterintuitive I agree doesn't Mm -hmm. make much sense what about co-signing debts I know that we've we've helped folks out over the years giving them a hand if they've gotten uh you know just need a bit of a help right it's a good thing to do makes you feel good Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm
1: You just not have, always. Yeah, you have to go into it with eyes wide open. And the way I say is, you know, never let anybody else ruin your credit. You know, it's your credit. If you're going to ruin it, do it yourself. But uh, when you co-sign a debt, you're agreeing to be responsible. And I'm sure you know this, Elaine. If, if you co-sign for somebody, it's 100% of the debt. It's yeah. not 50-50. It's not some fraction. And if that person who you have co-signed for starts to miss payments, you know, unless you are very diligent in making up those missed payments or paying it off in their, in their stead, um, you could have an impact on your credit report. As well, even though it's nothing that you've done other than put your name on the dotted line saying that you've been responsible, by doing that, you've given the opportunity that your credit rating could take a hit if things go unpaid.
0: Now, I know this is a little bit, I mean, it's connected to this, but if you got an idea of what I could do, how I could help somebody, what's the best way to help somebody? Because I'm not, I know I'm not the only one out there that wants to give folks a bit of help.
1: Yeah. So I generally say the best way you can help people is by giving them the tools, you know, the information that they need to help themselves. Right? right, so if you can give an introduction to you know a licensed insolvency trustee, if you can say I've heard the show Dollars and Cents, where Blair and Elaine talk about debt stuff all the time, it's a free consultation, and I have a meeting a lot of times with you know it's it's often you know young young adults, and sometimes their parents are there with them, and the parents have said you know we're prepared to pay off the debt for this person, we should all be so lucky, um, but in that meeting I'll be saying, well, wouldn't it be better if we can work out a consumer proposal, we can compromise the debt down to what's reasonable, if you want to help them out, help them pay off the proposal but let's have some responsibility in this situation let's face Mm -hmm. things head-on and you'll save money for the overall family but you'll also teach the young individual okay you know this is not a get out of jail free card there's still consequences but it doesn't have to you know be life-altering a proposal you can pay off relatively quickly and move on
0: i should have talked to you (laughs) should have talked to you or gone to the website before and uh number five applying for more credit
1: Yeah, so I think a lot of people understand this, that if you go out and you're shopping around, you know, say for a vehicle, for example, uh, the more times your credit rating gets checked, um, that can have a negative impact on your rating. So if you go to a dealership and they run a credit check and then you go to another one and they run a credit check, so on and so forth, all of those things are logged. And if you have too many of them in a short amount of time, It hurts your rating because creditors get nervous. Are you going all around town applying for credit? Is there a case that's all going to be granted? It's all going to get filled up, and then the existing credit is not going to get paid off? So they get very nervous if you're, you know, they see a lot of hits on your credit, meaning checks, people, you know, basically checking your record to see if they're going to give you credit.
0: And that's really them just looking at it without knowing any background information as to why you're doing it or how you're doing it or.
1: Mm. Exactly. Yeah,
0: that doesn't feel very good. Like, I don't have a whole lot of control over that, do I?
1: Right. Well, what you do have control, and and this is what we recommend, a very clever strategy here, is if you are going to shop around a few places, say it's a car, you're going to go three or four different places, you go and pull a copy of your credit report yourself. When you pull it yourself, there's no impact. You're allowed to do it at least once a year, um, sometimes more frequently if you choose to pay a fee for it, but pull your report yourself and bring it, physically bring it to the people that you're looking for financing from, and then it's only if you decide to go forward with the deal, then get them to check your credit. So you have one hit rather than multiples.
0: You're listening to Blair Manton with Sands & Associates. I'm Elaine Scollin. The show is called Dollars and Cents, Sands & Associates experts in helping you get out of debt. For more information on Any of the services we've talked about, go to the website sans trustee.com for more information. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKW.